0: Good evening, afternoon, night, morning, whenever you find a way to watch or listen to this podcast. It's me, as always, Omar, uh, joined by my good friend Jackson, who is uh, rocking the Crucial Catch uh, pin, lapel pin, I think. I, uh, is that what that is? Did I get it right?
1: That is a, a Crucial Catch lapel pin. I found it on eBay,
0: so. Okay, yeah. I don't usually get the NFL's marketing efforts right, the ones that you do wear, so I'm, I'm quite proud of myself. You're still missing the Ed Sheeran hat, but uh, I'm... You know, I mean, that's not if- a campaign,
1: Omar. It's that, it's not, you know, that's not going out to my cause, my cleats, and then to Ed Sheeran. Like, that's not the same, man.
0: I mean, maybe you're waiting for it to get down to 99 cents on Fanatics, which I don't blame you. But uh, hey, one day, maybe you'll wear that hat one day. Maybe maybe it's the Christmas gift for this year, the Ed Sheeran hat. But uh, en- enough NFL, you know, the NFL is already taking up enough college spaces as it is, as they announced a Black Friday game uh, for next year, which I, I am incensed about. But, you know, life goes on. So let's let's talk college football, of course. The week that was, um, I guess, I mean, of course, Jackson being an SEC guy, like, you know, this week more than any other, you know, caught the, I guess, the the spotlight for like the AC caught the eyes of the nation with, you know, the Tennessee-Alabama game that everyone talked about.
1: So obviously that dominated headlines on Saturday and continued to over the week. Um, I think it's hard not to when you, like, take a goalpost physically out of a stadium and throw it into a river, right? Like, that is certainly a, a reaction to a victory, if I've ever seen one. I think it is interesting, all the donation campaigns that you see the president smoking a cigar in his, like, box saying, hey, it's no big deal, we'll do this every year if we can beat Alabama, And then two days later, you turn around and ask for like $52.49 donations in honor of the score or like $16 for the 16-year losing streak to Alabama, right? So it is a little bit interesting, the reaction by the actual university, but the fan base, man, that's what college football is all about. 100,000 people, one of the biggest stadiums in the country, like all celebrating and you can really like, you can see like I've experienced that moment before, right? I mean, I don't. I don't even know. Florida's never had a rival that they've lost to that uh, for that amount of time. So I, I I guess I haven't experienced that before. But it was awesome to see definitely what college football is all about. Alabama, man, really seems to be having another down year. Bryce Young and Will Anderson. And it seems like there's not too many guys left on that roster that are like top-tier level, like slam-dunk top-five pick guys, right? Uh, which we typically see Alabama have a few of those guys or at least give off the impression during the regular season that there are, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, Will Anderson's been quiet of this year. Uh, kind of, I guess I want to call it the Jadavian Jade- Clowney effect, excuse me, We're like, you know, Clowney had that great year in 2012, had like the huge hit in the Outback Bowl, and then the next year defense is kind of, our offense is kind of keyed in on him. Same thing with Will Anderson, I feel, where it's just like, I'm sure he's making a great difference, um, on defense. He's not showing the stat in the in this in the box score, um, but yeah, I mean, Tennessee it definitely was the only doesn't
1: game. show up on the stat sheet, but I I promise you it does show up on like tape, right? Where like their your whole game plan is revolving around how can we not lose to Will Anderson? Look at the Sunday night game this past weekend, Micah Parsons, who might draw some comparisons, right, at least as an edge rusher. Look at how Philly changed his entire game plan. Revolving around Micah Parsons, right? And in this case, it was successful. But you see that more effect Monday through Friday in game planning than it does on the stat sheet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So, like, like you said, it it affects game planning a lot. And I mean, obviously, schools have been game planning effectively. Tennessee, Bam was not the only great game of the week. I mean, you had Utah, USC for the nightcap. You had um, TCU, Oklahoma State. Just so many great ranked faceoffs. But just a great week of college football, just like one of the the best ones that I can remember, honestly. Uh, also had um, Harvard versus Howard, you know, game that I was at. Howard tied the score at halftime, but it was not to be. But even still, you know, Howard with more experience can be a force to be reckoned with in the Miac. But again, a great weekend of college football, and from there, I think um, we don't really have a September Heisman. We have more of more of a mid October Heisman, where barring yep. One quick thing, Omar. I'm sorry to interrupt, but don't don't be so humble, man.
1: You were not only in attendance for the Howard Harvard game. You were not in the undesirable section, just in the in the lower bowl on uh, on metal seats. You were in the in the press box full-fledged representing hardware up there with the big boys, right?
0: I I was, yeah. And Redshirt Sports and uh Shady Sports Network, but uh, I mean, the thing is, there really is not, a, I guess, sort of a, a peasants type seat at Audi Field, home of the, the home of D.C. United for the for Major League Soccer and the Truth and Service Classic as literally every single seat is a seat back uh, in that stadium has a seat back. So great, great stadium. It was a great experience. And um, for once, I, I mean, I, for once, I wrote a game recap, something I don't usually do, but it's good practice.
1: Hey, man, that's like half of half of what we do. You may not write them, but we recap every week, whether it's on Bulls and Boos, whether it's on hardware. So awesome, man. That was that was awesome to see you see you up there watching. Did you get – were you able to film any All-22 for me by chance? Because HBCU and uh, Ivy League film is very hard to come by nowadays.
0: That was not, unfortunately. I took pictures oh, of all twenty oh you're killing me. I took, I took pictures. I took scenic pictures but no so you i mean take the it was before great. and
1: after like right at the snap and like 1.5 seconds after the snap what we see on the microsoft uh surface tablets on nfl sidelines like those type no, pictures nothing or... like
0: that jackson i'm not oh, I'm not on gosh. that ready. nothing like you got that me nothing. <laughs> sorry <laughs> but um i guess i guess all jokes aside um you know week 6 I mean, we have, we have uh, we have now i guess our mid october heisman front runner i mean i'm trying to think i think i think the the first time that we really had a front runner for Heisman last year was, I guess, um uh, the last weekend of October with, with Kenneth Walker against Michigan for Michigan State against Michigan when he had that monster game. I think this is the first time we have a clear front runner. Now things can change as he did last year with Kenneth with Kenneth Walker. Um, uh, but Hendon Hooker looked at the front runner. Then after that, CJ Stroud, which it's strange to say, quietly having a good year for Ohio State, but it's like they they haven't faced their their biggest test yet in Penn State and Michigan. Um, but CJ Stroud having a quietly good year for Ohio State. And then for third, I have Chase Brown, a guy that, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, before we hit our main topic. But Chase Brown had an absolutely throwback, amazing throwback performance for Illinois. I mean, kind of willed them to victory. Well, not really willed them to victory because Tommy DeVito had 252 passing yards, had a solid game. But Chase Brown had 41 carries for 180 yards. Like, you don't see running backs getting 41 carries, much less in, two, in a two-game span. For them to get one in a one-game span, Um for him to get for him to get those carries in one game season was amazing and Illinois looks like the front runner in the Big 10 West um they beat Minnesota probably the only other good contending team out in that division and it'll just be a matter of time to see if they can i don't think they're a playoff team with that one loss to indiana but if they can make the rose bowl they're first since 07 and they're second since 84
1: You know, you mentioned Hendon Hooker being at the top of the betting favorite odds, or at least the odds to win the Heisman in in thought or in theory. It is interesting looking at Vegas Insider right now that CJ Stroud is the favorite. And I don't know if that says more about what the public thinks of CJ Stroud or what we think of not even Hendon Hooker, but just the final destination for Tennessee season, when they've still got a road game at Tennessee, I think a lot is writing in how they lose that game because I, I do, I really find it difficult to believe that they're going to go on the road to Athens and win that game. Yes. Of course the Alabama win is probably the best victory all season. Right. But we saw Alabama struggle on the road at Texas and this is not a great Texas team. Right. So, and that was without Quinn, Quinn Evers for half the game nearly. So I do find it interesting that, um, that they put CJ Stroud at the top, but like I said, I think it speaks more to where we think Tennessee will end up at the end of the year than it does of CJ Stroud. That said, Hendon Hooker has played phenomenal. If they lose to Georgia, and it's not a given that they will. I don't think it's going to be because of Hooker, but it's something that at least be notated because this isn't the end-all, be-all, like, favorite, right? I think he has looked the best so far this season, but you're betting on not who would win the Heisman today, it's who's going to win the Heisman on the day of the Army-Navy game.
0: I think that's a great point about Georgia, and something I didn't think of before I bring that up is Stetson Bennett, too. Like, if he, uh, even though if, I guess, the perception of Georgia is Georgia, of course, is a, de- is a defense-driven team. Um, But if Stetson Bennett has a lights top performance against uh, Tennessee, then, you know, he could vault himself into that top five in a finalist status, I think. Um, But, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point, too, I guess, the public's perception of, of uh, Tennessee. Because... I mean, again, like I thought I, – I, like, I don't think Bama's in an off year, honestly. I'm sure people thought last year that Bama was in an off year when, in a down year when they lost to Texas A&M, a Texas A&M squad that, you know, struggled – not really struggled, but disappointed um, expectations early in the year. Then they lost to, to – then they then they beat Bama, and everyone thought Bama was – you know, wasn't their year. I feel like it's the same thing with this year, honestly. I mean, I, but we'll, we'll see because they have tests, too. I mean, they have Ole Miss. Ole Miss could legitimately beat Alabama this year. Um, but yeah,
1: one quick thing related to to the Heisman before we move on to our pigskin showdown player of the week to watch is there a Heisman moment left on the board for DJ Galole Because I think Syracuse at home could possibly win beat one, but I don't know if there is enough respect for Syracuse among Heisman bowers for it to be considered a Heisman moment. That said, a much worse Syracuse team had a Heisman moment. Against Lamar Jackson, right?
0: So I think Lamar Jackson's highest moment was against Florida State in that game. I think, I think, the, I think the, I think the train started started moving with that Syracuse game, and it was like full speed after the Florida State game when they won sixty three to twenty at home. Uh, and even then, that was a noon game; it wasn't even Saturday Night Football. But with Lamar, or, sorry, with uh, with DJ Lele, I think. Um, the funny thing is, is, like, I think you mentioned last week, whether it was on the podcast or just w- between conversation with us, how, like, Clemson had been on Saturday Night Football for three straight weeks. And realistically, they should be on for a fourth straight week because Penn State-Minnesota lost a lot of its luster after Minnesota lost to Illinois. But, you know, I mean, Syracuse, Syracuse-Clemson is one of the games of the week, honestly. Um, at least the uh, ESPN-owned game of the week because UCLA-Oregon is on Fox. But, I mean, with that being said, I think – you're right about Syracuse because I think I think I think DJ Uyalong's campaign is hurt by the fact that he played Wake Forest and NC State too early. But with that being said, like uh, you know, Drake May and UNC looks like the front runner out of the ACC Coastal. You can have a very electric, you know, ACC title game, prime time on ABC, and if you if you remember last year, I mean, like it wasn't and it wasn't a given that Kenny Pickett was going to be a Heisman finalist um you know before the ACC title game what happens that final weekend the the fake slide you know probably the most electric you know Heisman finalist moment of of any candidate in recent memory i think um so something like that can't happen where DJ Uwile U- just lights up the scoreboard on prime time because essentially like i think i think um this might be a hot take but honestly like the ACC title game is as close to uh I I forget what what the uh, the number of the last game is for the NFL, but it's it's as close as a week eighteen Sunday 18, night football game. Correct. What what was that? What was the number, Jackson?
1: Week eighteen, 18 correct? Uh, I guess not week eighteen, no, but that's
0: like the number is. I I forget. Like, there's like a number they called like game one ninety six or something, but you know what I mean. So like, I I guess I'll, I guess I'll refresh that statement. But yeah, like the ACC title game is as close to a. Um, this is close to a, like, pretty much a, you know, Sunday night football game to any, really, to, like, any, um, to, like, yeah, to any, uh, any game in college football. Because, like, again, it's ABC, Saturday Night Football. It only competes with one other title game, I think, that that being the Big Ten title game, which has lagged in ratings, you know, consistently. That's why there's big new in kickoff So, DJ U- Uyangule on that stage could have a good game and could sneak himself into New York as to whether he'd be the winner, I think it's hard to tell. I'm not sure how stats compared to Henning Hooker, but I mean, Clemson, everyone kind of wrote off Clemson, you know, uh, and like Geno Smith, Clemson ain't right back. But, you know, they're in the playoff talk, so. Yeah, no,
1: they absolutely are. Um, I don't know if there's a way for G.J. Leungle to win it by any means, but he certainly can sneak in the back door as a finalist. And that that would be good enough, right? That counts for enough. For it to be a part of, for him to be a part of Clemson history, for sure. I think coming off of just a big picture, right? I think him coming off of or having to fill in Trevor Lawrence's shoes, so to speak. they are very high expectations, right? But he's handled them well. He's certainly improved since last year, and he's um, gotten a, a lot of attention, right? This isn't a phenomenal Clemson team. This isn't one of the best that we've ever seen they, like we just talked about a couple of times now, they've had three straight Saturday night football games and it really should be four straight. So, and all, all the eyes in the country are on that seven thirty ABC slot. Right. So certainly something to watch, um, but we'll go ahead. We'll move on to our HBCU pigskin showdown player of the week to watch Omar. I'll go ahead and let you go first on this one.
0: Yeah, great. So um, I'm dressed for the occasion. You know, I got my red tails classic hat on because I am. Uh, I'm. I'm talking about. We we know about t- the Tuskegee Airmen, but we have a man who is making his name on the ground for Tuskegee, and that man is Torian Taylor. Uh, had an absolutely electric performance in the Crampton Bowl on Saturday night. Twenty-one carries, 232 yards, four touchdowns, including an amazing 93-yard touchdown against the Marauders of Central State. Tuskegee is now four and zero in the SEAC in the SEAC West. Uh, that conference has a championship game, and we could be shaping up for an absolute blockbuster title game with uh Tuskegee and Benedict playing Veterans Day weekend. With Tuskegee, Tuskegee four and zero in uh in the Siak West with a five and two record, and Benedict at seven and zero, five and zero in conference. Uh, the one knock on Torian Taylor. For you, Jackson, you know, your classic your classic statement, if he can't catch, he can't play. Only his four reception on the year. But I definitely can see a player as explosive with him. Like, this game was his second 200-yard performance. And Torian Taylor is measures at only 5'7", 180 pounds. But, again, that is special teams territory. Like, I mean, that's Darren Sproles, you know, return man-type territory. And, again, like, that's where players in the late rounds and even undrafted Make their make a name for themselves on special teams, and I see and Taylor being a kickoff return specialist, if not in the NFL, because it's easy for players like Taylor to slip beneath the cracks, which is why the HBCU picks and showdown exists and why it's just a great opportunity for those players. But I mean, I can see returning kicks, hopefully for my generals in the USFL. But again, Coach Williams, Coach Grove, I know, I know your games in Selma or in Marion, Alabama. If you want the local fans to come out and invite, invite this great tailback out of Tuskegee, out of Tuskegee, Alabama, and the fans will, will flock to Marion. Uh, you'll you'll have more money than you know what to do with, coaches.
1: Definitely, man. No, anytime you can be a special teams contributor. That is when you're going to get a lot of attention at the next level, right? Because you don't have 99 guys on the roster. You have 53 at the next level, right? And maybe a few more on the practice squad. So you have to be a contributor on special teams. Omar in August, what do we always say? Playmakers on special teams in August become, it's not bench warmers, but at least like contributors right later on in the year right on special teams and that's where if you can pave your way on special teams it allows you to at least have the opportunity to create your own path at the position that you're designated as on the roster so uh awesome uh awesome report there i'll go ahead and go with my hbcu player of the show HB, hbcu pigskin showdown player of the week to watch jeres Halsey, the wide receiver from delaware state Man, he's made an impact for this Delaware State offense, despite only having 15 receptions on the year. He's their leading receiver by about 180 yards, and he has as many receiving touchdowns as the rest of the team combined. Tremendous ball skills, hand-eye coordination. I do want to talk about where he fits into this offense, right? When you think of Delaware State, you think of a team who's going to try and control the clock with the run game. When they do pass, and it's not often, they only have 51 completions on the year. It's going to be explosive because it's off the play action. So yes, this is a run first team. Don't sleep on Jarish man. He is one of the best wide receivers in all the MIAC right now. One way that I do like how they use him, particularly in the scheme, he's almost exclusively on the outside, right? He's either lined up as the X or Z on almost every play because the backfield demands so much attention from that front seven on the opposing side, it's going to garner a lot of one-on-one opportunities. He's not going to go against much cover three where there's a a strong safety or a free safety to help out. It is pretty much just him in the corner because there is so much of a deep threat that because the play action is so prevalent, that combined with him getting in and out of his breaks so well It really creates a lot of separation on those quick little digs or hooks or curls, right? To where he can really create that separation and trust his speed to get the yak after that because of his footwork. Um, One last thing I want to talk about with the Stellar State offense, right? Even though they are a run first team and they they don't run as much 12 and 22 personnel as like run heavy FBS teams like Kentucky, like Utah that we see at the FBS level, that means he has a lot more responsibilities in the run game, right? Not something that you see that often for a 5'10 receiver. I think he's 160 pounds, right? So he doesn't hesitate to run block as well, something you rarely see off of a smaller outside receiver.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love that selection of Jarrett Halsley for you, Jackson. I mean, last year we talked a lot about Trey Gross a lot, especially come the All-Star season when he played in not just the um tropical bowl, but the HBCU legacy bowl as well. Um, you know, Halsey's kind of the opposite of Trey Gross. Trey Gross being a long physical receiver, Halsey, 5'10, 160. You know, it's and it's interesting you mentioned that they play him out in the X position, not so much in the slot, because you look at a guy with that with those type of dimensions, <clears throat> excuse me, those type of dimensions, 5'10, 160. You think a slot guy. But again, like the play-action game um, is is strong with Delaware State. You know, you know they're going to run the ball. And that's that's their calling card. They play tough defense. Like last year, their defense is tough. Not much has changed this year. They they have a tough defense. You know, they have a defense that allowed them to hang around with Delaware for a while until Delaware kind of wore them out. With that, Zach game was only fourteen to three at halftime. Uh, so Delaware State is definitely sleeper. Like a lot of people's sexy picks from the Miac are either the defending champs, South Carolina State, with big game Buddy Pugh at the helm. Or North Carolina Central with uh, Davis Richard lighting it up there, but I I think Delaware State I've been I've been riding the Delaware State underdog uh, or sleeper bandwagon for the past couple of years, but I mean, uh, I wouldn't write them off either this year. I mean, you know, we'll see. Like they're they're built, they're built to contend with teams like North Carolina Central, defense focused, ball control, get the ball to David or excuse me, keep the ball out of Davis Richard's hands, and you know you know, keep the game in their control. But it just makes the MIAC race even more spicy.
1: This week, they do have a game on the road against Howard Wright, a team you saw live and in person last week. I do want to mention last year he had a 75-yard seven, kick return. Doesn't mean he will make his mark on special teams this year. Doesn't seem like they're using him as much. I haven't seen the stats myself. So some of our HBCU, our draft HBCU friends might be able to help me out on that. But I mean, he'll definitely make his mark off of play action if he doesn't there, right? So looking forward to seeing him there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, you mentioned the game against Howard, a team that you know I saw last week. Howard's just a young team. Uh, Delaware State is a type of team, you know, old, older, experienced. To um, you know, kind of wear down Howard. That's not to say Howard's a bad team, but I mean Howard just they um they hung around with USF, but they got outlasted in the end. And then they hung around with Howard, and then Howard or they hung around with Harvard, excuse me. And then Harvard's experience took over. So I expect the same thing to happen, but just not not just not be a blowout. I I think Delaware State pulls this one out, but um yeah i guess, I guess enough talk about our h b c this is that was a really uh filling discussion I enjoyed it i guess so, so we're gonna go to our uh our mackey award talk so each week we're we're talking about a different award each week you know as the season kind of kind of winds down so we're talking about tight ends and this one i think honestly for casual fans is the hardest one to pick out because the tight ends are doing the dirty work you know they're not your guys averaging twenty yards a catch or like even heck sixteen seventeen yards a catch unless they're isaiah likely. But again, they're still making their mark on the offense, and there's only like I, I guess casual college fans, like even most college football fans, can only name a few, a handful of tight ends, handful starting tight ends, like right off the bat. So this one was a tough one for at least me to scout. But uh, Jackson, I guess who's your uh, I guess if you want to, I don't know if you want to spit fire all your every single one of your guys, or um, just go one by one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can go ahead. Do you want to do all three and then all three? My prediction is included in my three, right? Just because I think he is legitimately the best tight end in the country. So um, it's up to you, man.
0: Um, it doesn't matter to me, so I'll leave that up to you.
1: <laughs> got it. Got it. All right. I'll go ahead. I'll do all three. Um, I'll go ahead and start with, I mean, this name should be at the top of everyone's list, right? Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia. He's a deep threat. What else can I say, man? Like, you don't see that often from tight ends. It's it's special what he is. The classic tough for linebackers to go in coverage against him and tough for corners to be as physical as him. Whenever you have a tight end that is a legitimate deep threat and not just like a shallow cross or up the seam threat, right? Man, it can completely change your defensive game plan, especially when you run the type of personnel groupings that Georgia does has speed, man, he can make guys miss on the outside, is the best tight end prospect since Kyle Pitts, I know that wasn't that long ago, right, but if it hadn't been for Kyle Pitts just a couple years ago, man, he would be the best tight end prospect in long before that, so, um, love watching him play, really hate that we have to play him in a couple weeks here, um, that Florida does, but, um, but man, he he, I think I think he's going to win. I think he is the best tight end in the country. It just so happens to be on a team that's getting a lot of attention, right? And the reigning national champions—that never hurts. To, never hurts. Um, my next guy, a guy that's been getting a lot of attention in the draft world since the USC game, but really, I think for like the deeper draft world, the Jim Nagy's of the world, like has known have known about him for a lot longer. Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. Man, he was a an FCS non-scholarship player at San Diego because he only played one year of high school football. Now he's a super senior that's going to be preparing for the draft after this year. What I love about him, he checks all the boxes of stuff you can't coach, right? He has arm length. He has strong hands. He has those musts that you need to be a top-tier tight end because he does lack a lot of experience, right? And especially power five football experience. He is a, like a very raw talent. It's understandable, right? He wasn't even playing football his sophomore year in high school. Um, I mean, Utah is having a great year, right? That is bringing a lot of attention to him. So I think it helps if this story that he has is awesome story of how he has come about to Utah. If that gains some traction and certainly can help his his campaign since a lot of these are more about storylines than tape. Um it'll help, but man, he is a great tight end. Um and looking forward to seeing him at the at the next level and how that translates. My last guy, Davis Allen, the tight end from Clemson. His route running is something that's very interesting to me. It is not by any means the most complex route tree that he has. But like that FS, I don't know if you saw the highlight against FSU. He's lined up as an X receiver, runs a goal line fade on third and seven. So this is an all or nothing scenario and like tremendous, like gets one foot in. But then is if you're looking at from an NFL perspective, right, gets his gets his shin so that counts as any other body part counts as two feet right so he it's an nfl catch and like tremendous concentration um and apparently it's pretty common for him to line up on the outside right they have him line that separated from the from the offensive line and even outside the numbers at times so it is interesting to see how clemson uses him in that offense um the only downside to that though There is not as much expected from him when he is lined up in the interior as an attached tight end, right? And you see that especially in his run blocking. So that's certainly something he needs to improve. Thankfully, I don't think that's a huge uh, box to check off on the John Mackey Award voter list, right? So that certainly helps this case. Um, One more thing from an NFL standpoint, though, that I kind of wanted to point it out. Um, Typically, what you look at as an NFL team, hey, How was he in his freshman year? How is this going to translate immediately to our team? If you look at his freshman year, as a three-star recruit coming into Clemson, he had a 103.5 QBR win targeted, and he saw action over 15 games, so a pretty good sample size. He's being used uniquely at Clemson. More eyes are going to be on him. It's definitely something I keep an eye on in, uh, in fantasy football, right? Any sort of edge you can get um for a tight end so um and man he's got the frame as a as an nfl tight end man he's six five and a half he's he checks a lot of boxes and looking forward to to seeing him improve over the year and at the next level
0: yeah i mean i like your list a lot honestly i mean two out of three of my list is the same uh the thing with brock bowers too that makes him transcendent is just his contributions to the run game. And you think first, oh, there's so many great tight ends that are great blockers. No, no, no. I mean, actually legitimately running the football. Like, everyone saw his 75-yard touchdown against Kent State. He has three rushing touchdowns in the year. A tight end with three rushing touchdowns, not just is he a, uh, a front runner for the Mackie Award. I think you could even pencil him in for to be a front runner for the Paul Horning Award, for most versatile player in college football. So, I mean, Brock Bowers is just one of those guys that you can, you know, flex – you know, I, I guess I can kind of see him as like a, like a Jason Kelsey. You know, we saw the past couple the past couple of games with the Chiefs where uh, Jason Kelsey and I mean, not just past couple of games, just last season as well, where Jason Kelsey takes snaps uh, from quarterback, uses his roots as a quarterback uh, in high school and just runs Wildcat. One of the few, I guess, teams in all levels of football that run Wildcat. But I can see Brock Bowers' experiences as, a, as, you know, in the run game, uh, kind of putting him in that role as well. As for Dalton Kincaid, huge game against USC. Um, really, the name, the name kind of emerged from there. and And you mentioned San Diego, San Diego, uh, I wouldn't say they're a factory, but they have produced some good pro talent. I mean, everyone knows about the the well traveled the well- traveled career career of Josh Johnson, the quarterback for, you know, several NFL teams, uh, a UFL team and an XFL team and an ax team for that matter. Everyone knows about Josh Johnson, right? San Diego product. Uh, Reed Sinnott, a backup quarterback for the Dolphins who's hung around in the practice squad, been with the Eagles as well, San Diego product. So they they produce some some guys out there in San Diego. They've had a rough year uh, so far th- th- this year and the past year. But, again, just a great football program out there in California. As for my three guys, um, again, the first two are the same, Jackson. Or I guess the first one is the same, uh, Brock Bowers, of course. Um, you know, not not much else needs to be said with him. After that, I got Dalton Kincaid, and my I guess my one point of discussion uh, comes from my third guy, which I have Sam Laporta for Iowa, just because of what he means for the offense. Like, if you look at how Iowa, Iowa's been the butt of several jokes, you know this. uh, Their offense has been the butt of several jokes this season. If you look at where this offense would be without uh, Sam Laporta, and it's a funny thing to say because Laporta has not scored any touchdowns, and I'm not saying touchdowns are not an important stat, but his production is through the roof, like proportionately, because Georgia has so many other weapons, right? You know, you can afford to take your attention off of Brock Bowers and put it towards a run game. They have they have a great receiving core. Same thing with Utah. Utah's got weapons like Dalton, or I'm sorry, Sam Laporta is pretty much, I wouldn't say doing it himself, but he has 30 catches for 270, uh, 278 yards, I believe. Uh his 30 catches are more than the top two wide receivers in Iowa combined. Those two combining for 27 receptions. So Defenses are keying in on Laporta. They're not stopping it. Uh, and again, like George, our Iowa tight ends. Everyone knows about Iowa tight ends right now in this league, like T.J. Hawkinson, George Kittle. You know, great tight end for the Niners. But I mean, like, I I think Laporta will probably get a finalist look just because of what he means for the offense. The numbers might not be there, but I think. I think uh receptions it's comparative to to Bowers. I mean it's just not yards per catch like his yards per catch doesn't match Bowers and it doesn't match King Cades, but his production and what he means that offense should get him a spot. And then Jackson, I, I have a couple two. I have two other guys that uh, I think I think they're intriguing cases. You can make the case in this new age, but before, yeah, I'll I'll let you I'll let you take it.
1: One more thing that I want to mention about Iowa football and specifically the Iowa offense, I believe at one point in the year they only had two scholarship receivers on the roster, right? Two scholarship wide receivers. That should tell you about the receiving room, at least the the quality on the roster, right? With no offense to non-scholarship players. But, um, it is certainly it just speaks that, hey, a disproportionate amount of attention is on is on the tight end. That's something we saw think about Trey McBride, right? He was the Colorado State passing game. And I, I just wanted to one make that comparison and two point out how bad that Iowa receiving room is and just the lack of depth that they have or it's not top heavy. It's only top heavy in the sense that it's like it's it's one tight end kind of carrying
0: the run game or the passing game with that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's funny to know. I mean, the second leading receiver is another tight end who has nine catches for 157 yards. But um, again, I think Sam Porter should get all the credit in the world for what he's doing for Iowa. Now, my two guys have intrigue, which I don't think they'll get any love for the award, but I think if we look at the award in a different perspective, then you know it it makes sense. So I have two service academy guys, so I'm not doing that because um because of bias. But we have Kyle Patterson for Air Force, who has three catches for 81 yards in the year. And you look at that and it's like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, he's in option offense, but he has the highest pro football focus grade and the second highest run, run block grade of any tight end. And who has the uh, the highest run block grade of any tight end? You, that would be Josh Lingenfelter of Army, who has the second highest PFF grade of any tight end. And the thing is with that, too, is like you look at just the scheme, it's like how much Probably, I guess it's probably not a huge deal for for Maci Ward voters, right? You know their role in the run game, but you look at the advanced metrics and what these guys do, like how um how g- how good the edge game is for Air Force and Army. Um, I I, I think they're worth consideration in-, in a different light, but just the way it's conventionally, I guess the way the awards conventionally looked at, you know, best tight end, you know, in-, in a receiving manner and statistically, they definitely won't get a look. But just the advanced metrics and the way that this game's going with analytics, you know, it's a uh, it's an intriguing, like, thing to look at, you know, how, you know, Kincaid, I, yeah, Dalton Kincaid, you know, Brock Bowers, and uh, Sam Laporta were not in the in the top five, but those two guys were. So, not saying they should be finalists, but I do think, like, you know, it, it's, they, they deserve credit for, I mean, their run-blocking prowess and their, uh, obviously, you know, the way they, they create matches on the field.
1: No, absolutely, man. Hey, I mean, a great list, right? Two thirds of your list, I completely agree with. <laughs> just because we have the same guys, I assume your prediction is is Brock Bowers as well to to end up winning the Mackey
0: Award. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, because it, it not, it's just not, it's not just receiving. I assume that he'll get more carries, uh, whether it's like a few more, a few more carries for Georgia. But he's going to make an impact in the run game too. Something that no other tight end can even you know really say. So. Uh yeah, I I got I got Brock Bowers winning it, and, and and honestly too, I will say this like like being a longtime Niners fan, Brock Bowers kind of reminds me of like a Delaney Walker, you know, a guy that can that has the speed and the ability to make plays in the run game as you know a runner because I remember the Niners would run Delaney Walker on end rounds, you know, um so you know kind of an obscure Niner and Titans fan reference, but uh yeah like the the sky's the limit for Brock Bowers. I'm excited for him.
1: Omar, are you possibly getting the idea to make previous NFL player comparisons to a current college player by, say, watching the NFL Combine in March? Or are
0: no. you in late February? or? No, Jackson. No? <laughs> no.
1: All right. <laughs> no. Can I interest I'm you sorry. in that this year, possibly?
0: <laughs> um, Maybe, maybe if we can make the comparisons during the East West Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl <laughs> where they're actually playing an actual game. Then, yeah. But otherwise, I'm not I'm not watching guys do drills. I'm not watching guys right. right. practice.
1: We'll get there someday, man. We're getting there. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll go ahead and move on to our week eight games of the week to watch. Um, I'll go ahead and start off with one that we talked a little bit about on bulls and booze, a uh an inner inner division matchup in the Sun Belt West, Troy at South Alabama. Um, man, this is the best start in like about a decade for South Alabama, right? And they're Five and one, one game away from bowl eligibility. Feels weird to say that in October. Um, Troy did start off one and two, but they won their last three, right? Um, what's really interesting to me is Troy's offense. Uh, they have QB uh Gunner John Gunner Watson rather. I he ranks top 25 in F in the FBS in both yards per game and yards per completion. So obviously, like getting the job done. But their backup uh, quarterback, uh, Jerry Doge, 144 less attempts, only one less touchdown, and five less picks than Watson. Right, so possibly a little bit mid-season, a little bit of a mid-season quarterback battle to watch. It's not a bad problem to have, but Gunner is statistically like at the top in in college football, and. Uh, and and Jerry is is right here as well so it's it's interesting to watch they also have wide receiver Ted Johnson right leads the Sun Belt with 22 yards per catch and it's the sixth highest in all of the FBS so a very explosive offense and that's going to be going against a South Alabama defense that is a top 33rd down defense and already has 14 takeaways on the year so what's at stake in this game right Winner probably wins the Sun Belt West, barring any other major upsets, and then probably faces, I'm assuming what's going to be Coastal Carolina in the conference title game. We may see JMU sneak in there, but um it's going to be an interesting game to watch. It's Thursday night football, so if I can't interest you in New Orleans, Arizona, I can in this. It's going to be 7.30 Eastern time on ESPNU.
0: Uh, I think, uh, I think Jackson, you mentioned the last point about Thursday night football. I think uh, NFL fans are fed up or football fans are fed up with, with NFL primetime games. <laughs> I think they're fed up. And I think, uh, I mean, this one isn't a bad matchup per se, but, you know, expectations are low. So I feel like this one will garner a lot of eyes too, especially with so much implications because uh, we mentioned to on Bulls and Boos how South Alabama is, I wouldn't say they're a fake field goal away because I defend that decision of going for a fake field goal because it's not like UCLA had scored like ten points up to that point, and you know they're stopping their offense all day. UCLA had scored twenty nine points, so like their offense was a threat. So they were a fourth down stop away from beating UCLA and ruining UCLA's playoff hopes. But um yeah, like South Alabama is very much still in the Cotton Bowl race, which is very exciting for. I mean, college football fans. There's like so many. Like, it's not the Boise States. It's not. It's not the Boise States. The um, I'm trying to think of a perennial favorite that's not in. It. It's not the Boise States. Uh, the the usual suspects, the Houston's that are in the New York Six race. It's the Coastal Carolinas, the Tulane's that make this year so exciting. The group of five race so exciting. Um, so I'm gonna go with another weeknight game. Excuse me. We have Princeton versus Harvard on a Friday night, Ivy League Friday night. And last year, these two titans of college football, you know you go back to the 19th century, you know, who are the blue bloods of the sport, Princeton and Harvard. Uh, These, these two Titans went into a five overtime game, 18 to 16. And that game was overshadowed by another game that went nine overtimes that very same day in Illinois, in Illinois, Penn state, a great game to be a college football fan. Uh, A lot of free football happening on October 23rd, 2021. But you know, again, that game was 18, 16, and that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of great defensive ball. I mean, you have Princeton playing lights out defense. The same thing with Harvard. Even though Harvard actually Harvard hasn't really played as lights out defense, but Princeton has one of the best defense in F in FB, or FCS. Excuse me. And then Harvard, um, you know, they've had they played down to a lot of teams this year. They fell behind by two touchdowns to Merrimack. They needed they they needed overtime to beat Merrimack. They only beat Brown by one touchdown. Um, they only beat Cornell by one touchdown as well. So. Harvard has this one at home which is an edge but again should be a close game and just a great quarterback matchup I mean you have Charlie Dean who has 10 touchdowns, two picks, uh 1150 yards. You have you have uh, Brent Stenstrom who has 1352 yards and six touchdowns for Princeton. But also too I want to I want to bring attention to uh some great some pro prospects uh you know at the posi- at the at the skill positions. You have Aiden Borgay, a guy who ran for over 250 yards uh in 2019 against Yale. This year he's got 608 yards in 5 games, 120 yards per game for the Harvard Crimson. Last week had over 20 carries against Howard. Just absolutely wore down that defense as time went on. And then you have um Andre Andre Yoshivas for Princeton, a guy who you shared a tweet with me with uh with uh Dr. Bell from uh, from NFL Live, you know, showing some life for Andre Yoshivas. And Yoshivas is just a great just a, a great possession receiver. 31 catches, 447 yards on the year, three touchdowns. Um, so again, just really great pro talent on display on a Friday night on the ESPNU five or seven o'clock Eastern five p.m. Mountain time, uh, and and even then don't even don't even sleep on um on Kim Wimberly for Harvard who has four hundred fifty five four hundred fifty eight receiving yards so so much talent this is almost like going to be like a who's who of late round NFL prospects in this game and probably could probably will decide the Ivy League for that matter.
1: Omar, you are really like pushing the the train to be uh ivy league friday nights for it to become an american tradition i don't think we're quite there yet but we're getting there closer and closer every week that no matter the quality of game that they put on on friday night we're we're still pushing it out here on hardware so i appreciate this
0: one's a good one though like this one is an absolute like it is a good one it is a good one yeah, not all of them, have been,
1: but th- this is a good one.
0: So and we'll add one more guy. Sorry, we'll add one more guy. I Didn't recognize Andre Yoshivas is not the leading receiver. Princeton, believe it or not, it is Dylan Clossy who has 30 catches for 476 yards. Like again, there's just so much talent to recognize. That I, like I don't a, think I say talent
1: has some or that receiving room has some depth.
0: Both of them, both of them do. Like, so should be a good game, honestly.
1: Absolutely, man. I will go ahead and go with with my next game of the week to watch. Um, Louisiana Monroe at Army, oddly enough, is, is a game to watch. Both are two-win teams. Um, I, I think both teams are starting to go into desperation mode if they drop this one, right? Um, look at Louisiana Monroe. Their losses are very understandable at Texas, at Alabama, versus Coastal Carolina. On the road at South Alabama, who's 5-1, and one, give UCLA a hard game, right? We were just talking about a fake field goal away um army on the other hand man five score loss to wake forest a loss at coastal which is understandable another three score loss to georgia state army is locked into the independence bowl if they become bowl eligible they do need to get four more to get that but i feel like the path is is not plausible it's it's not a reasonable path if you lose a game to louisiana monroe so that's my opinion interested to see who wins the game because yeah like i said like the loser man is going to be on the outside looking in as on bulls and boots so they're going to tune in and we're not going to be talking about them and that's going to be painful so
0: yeah uh i know last year you had your uh your jokes for your, your your weekly pick against army and last this is the first time you mentioned army pick all all year i guess um we, we didn't mention Coastal Carolina Army, but uh, yeah, the first time in a while, but I will say this, so yeah, for Louisiana Monroe, I don't think it's panic mode for the program, because I think Terry Bow- Bowden has him on an amazing track. Uh, for those of you that remember, you know, the heights he took Akron to, Akron, he took Akron in the MAC title game, and he had them beat a Northwestern team that ended up winning the, uh, the, the Big 10 West, like, and Akron didn't even make a bowl that year. So he's kind of on the same track with Louisiana Monroe, where that like they have one off big games, but they they're yet they've yet to put a whole season together. Last year they beat Malik Wilson Liberty at home, an amazing win for that program, but they couldn't put it put it together to bowl, to bowl eligibility. This year they beat Louisiana on the road for the first time since the mid two thousands. But again, you want to see like is Louisiana Monroe going to put a whole season together for bowl eligibility again? I think if they don't get it this year, I think this looks like a bowl team next year. Um, with just how open the the Sun Belt is. Uh, I think Louisiana Monroe has great prospects in the future. And I think um, I I encourage them to not give up on Terry Bowden because it's a long-term project. And he is just, he's just climbing that hill slowly. You know, he's climbing the mountain. We saw, we saw Brent Brennan climb the mountain for San Jose state. And like, look at that. They're, they're a consistent program now. I think there's a similar trajectory for Louisiana Monroe and this army game could be a huge statement because two years ago, um 2020 they were it was a pandemic game you know it was the second week of September Louisiana Monroe looked lifeless 37-7 win for Army but this is a way better Louisiana Monroe team and Army's got their work cut out for him for Army on the other hand um the thing with Army because Tennessee canceled canceled on us which probably for the better now you know in retrospect uh we had to schedule Villanova for a second F fcs school so now we need seven wins so we need to go let's see there were two and four we need to go six that's and, or, i didn't even catch that but that that's a good point but we have a loss to give so i think that loss to give will either be against air force or troy which air force air force has looked inconsistent it's i think it's more realistic thing we'll beat air force and troy but even even then with troy it's like you know uh have they faced i mean have they dealt with the triple option you know in in its full form so it's like again the path is there but um this is a must win like georgia state was uh it it was a must win as well for for comfort but this is the must win as well as we only have one loss to give of course there can also be not enough bowl eligible teams which could be our saving grace and allow us to go bowling um at six and six but i would rather not count on that to be honest with you but uh yeah so a huge game for ball eligibility um, my second game is um, uh, going to stay. I guess going to stay in that kind of region, but we're going to go to Conference USA with the group of five for North Texas versus UTSA. And who everyone knows, UTSA was going to be a front runner for the you know for the for Conference USA's title. But what about North Texas at three and zero in Conference USA? Both teams at three and zero. There are no divisions, so this very well could be a preview of the Conference USA title game. Now, North Texas has a tougher road going down. Uh, you know, going down the road at, at Conference USA as they uh, as they play later on in the season, as I look at their schedule right now. Uh, North Texas has a tougher road. They'll have to play Western Kentucky, who, again, has looked good. Not, not as good as last year, but they're still a contender. And they play UAB. So they have those two schools. But a win over UTSA could solidify them a spot in that title game as one of the top two teams in the conference. Um, going on to UTSA, you know, great team as well. Uh, Frank, I mean, we have Frank... Uh, we have sorry, I'm forgetting his name. Geez, Frank Harris. We have Frank Harris, the great quarterback for North Texas against Austin Ani. And last year, everyone knew about Sincere McCormick, what he did because of his 2020 merits. So a lot of the tension was on Sincere McCormick. But Frank Harris is having a sensational year. I mean, if he had played, if he if he played in any other conference, if he played in the American conference, I think he would be a Heisman candidate. You know, a Heisman dark horse. The way the way that we're talking about Mike Pratt, I think we'd be talking about Frank Harris if he played in uh, if he played in the American. Austinani also having a great year. He has uh 1,692 yards, 7, 17 touchdown passes for North Texas. And this is a guy that played minor league baseball. He's like Chris Winky. He's like Brandon Wheat in 2.0. He's like in his late 20s, having a great year for North Texas. They have a great run game. They have two backs with over 500 yards. Um, they have they have a uh, AO Adeyi, which I hope I pronounced that right, a diminutive quicker back who's averaging eight yards of carry, and then they have they have gonna, Oscar Attaway, the third, who is a power back, 222 pounds, averages five yards a carry, 550, 525 yards. This game should be very exciting. Um, And, yeah, we could see this again first week of December.
1: Absolutely, man. No, I was just thinking about it. I already, like, can't wait for conference championship weekend. And I was like, wait, I need to slow down. I need to enjoy the few precious weeks that we have left in the regular season. I'll go and go with my last game of the week to watch Kansas on the road at Baylor. Something that was interesting to me last week, there was a lot of talk about Oklahoma being favored as an eight and a half point favorite over Kansas, despite Kansas looking like objectively better than Oklahoma for the beginning of the year. Then Oklahoma ended up covering, right? And definitely looking like the better team. Kansas just needs one more win to have an objectively successful season with this, right? To become bowl eligible. Baylor, on the other hand, Baylor had a lot of talk about being repeating Big 12 champions, right? Desmond Howard even picked them to go to the college football playoff. Now they're sitting at 3-3. and They risk a losing record in this game and what was a beginning win at the beginning of the year uh, or a given win at the beginning of the year. So I'm interested to see, hey, how do both teams respond? For Kansas, this is going to set the precedent for a very tough remainder of the year. Oklahoma State at home, on the road at Texas Tech, Texas at home again, and then on the road back in Manhattan in against Kansas State. And then for Baylor, what, what really concerns me about Baylor, your two easiest games left after this. Texas Tech and Oklahoma are both on the road in places that are not very easy to play. So I'm very concerned for Baylor about where their season ends if they drop this one too.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And so like in doing my research for games to watch, um, you know, I looked at Duke, Miami, of course. And I think um, I think we kind of in terms of Kansas, it's a great story. It's a, it's a really great story. But I think we kind of oversold some of the teams that they beat earlier in the year. I mean, you look at Tennessee Tech, of course, FCS win West Virginia. West Virginia is not a bad team, but, you know, they're a middle of the pack Big 12 team. We thought, you know, they could be, you know, that we thought that was like an eight and four team or whatnot. Houston, Houston looks like a seven and five team out of the American, and then Duke. I mean, Duke. If if they don't win a couple, if they don't beat Boston College, Duke may miss a bowl game in all in all re, in all reality. So I think we kind of did the same thing with Kansas, and, and again, Iowa State too. Iowa State was another one where like Iowa State has kind of reached their peak. I don't think Iowa State's that good of a program this year. Um, Again, and, and we kind of got excited, and, and you know, gave Kansas, you know, some due. So again, like I mean, this Kansas team though looks to me with the re- remaining schedule, they look like honestly a seven and five team. You know, if uh mm, yeah seven and five team, honestly six and six at the very worst. But I think they do need this Baylor game at least to have that reassurance, you know, of going bowling. But I, I do, I do think that they won't be in the top half of the Big Twelve. But it's still a great story nonetheless. But Baylor, I. I'm not sure what would happen to Baylor this year. Um, They had a lot of losses, you know, starting at quarterback. Gary Bohannon transferred, you know, that's a huge loss in itself. Here. The quarterback that led you to the Sugar Bowl, huge loss right there along with many others. So, again, interesting game. And who would have thought that this would be kind of a, I guess, fork in the road game for both programs? I mean, you would have thought, like you said, that Kansas would have had a couple wins by now, you know, a couple of non-conference wins, been at the bottom of the pack, and then Baylor, you know, on their way to contending for the Big 12 title. But here we are. College football is funny. So I guess another surprising game I have for my last one coming into the year, you have Utah State versus Wyoming. Um, you, I think it's uh, I think it's the battle for the Bridgers Rifle. I think, I think that's the name of the rivalry. But you have two. You have one team. Start off Utah State. Utah State. Everything was fine and rosy last year. You know they had their players showing up on Jimmy Kimmel Live. You know before the L.A. Bowl, having a good time, telling jokes. Logan Bonner told a funny joke in in front of the live studio audience, as a few other players did. Everything looked good for Utah State. I mean, everything looked reasonable for them to you know repeat out of the Mountain West. They had they had probably the deepest quarterback room in the in the country. I think you have Logan Bonner threw for over three thousand yards last year. You have Cooper Lega, a guy who didn't even have a snap before the L.A. Bowl, but ended up throwing a touchdown in his first pass ever as a collegian. Uh, caught a pass to an L.A. Bowl and with lights out. And then you have Levi Williams, a guy who ran for 200 yards in the, in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl and anchored that Wyoming offense. But, you know, they started off kind of sluggish against UConn, beating them by 11, which in retrospect looks like a very solid win on their resume. They against Alabama, you thought they would have hung around a little bit, but they got beat 55 to nothing against Alabama. Then the, the the I guess the death blow for everyone's perceptions of Utah State was a 35-7 loss to to Weber State at home, of course. So everyone kind of wrote Utah State off, but slowly but surely they climbed back up. They beat Air Force, they beat Colorado State for two wins in a row. The Air Force one was the most shocking. And before you know it, Utah State controls their own destiny in the Mountain West Mountain division. They have Wyoming, they have this game, Wyoming, they have Utah, they have New Mexico. Then they have Hawaii, San Jose State, and Boise State. So they control their own destiny. But the thing is, is, you know, they probably have to win out. They can lose to San Jose State if they're not in the division, but they would need some help from Boise State to lose coming into that game for it to be a winner-take-all game for the Mountain West title game. Same thing applies for Wyoming. Wyoming started off strong. They beat Air Force, but they kind of they kind of faltered down the stretch against really good teams, whether it be, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it be BYU losing my two scores to BYU. Uh, losing by seventeen to Wyoming or to San Jose State, but they too control their own destiny. Uh, they have they have this game, Utah State. They also have Hawaii in the battle for the Pennyolo Trophy, which is you know it's named after Hawaiian cowboys. For those of you that don't know, uh, then they have the they have the the Golden Boot game against Colorado State. They have Boise State for the second to last week of the season, and then they have Fresno State to end the year off. So again, they have one Western Division opponent that looks like a loss. But if Boise State trips up along the way, then either you know Boise State, Wyoming, or Boise State, Utah State looks like a winner takes all game, which means that this weekend's game will probably be a uh, an elimination game for all for all intents and purposes. You have two teams that play ball very differently. Wyoming, very classic, they use a fullback and and everything. They have a, a quarterback, Andrew Peasley, a good threat on the ground, and Utah State likes to spread the ball around and throw it. Not so much this year too, as they're down to their fourth quarterback, but um. Somehow they're still in the Mountain West race. As last week, their quarterback, uh, their quarterback Bishop Davenport had a solid game off the bench. Now we'll see how he stands against Wyoming. But again, this game serves as an eliminate as an elimination game for the Mountain the Mountain West Mountain Division.
1: It's a shame that we're talking about San Jose State, like, oh yeah, they, they like might be able to drop the game to San Jose State, but they need help. Like, man, that's brutal because we had such high hopes for them. We're hoping that they could return to the Mountain West championship. But um man, it happened. So I mean,
0: they can. Yeah. I mean, so they definitely can, can, but it's
1: it's not as as impressive of a showing. We're not talking New Year's Six anymore for them. and it, it is tough, but
0: but but I will that's say this amazing. like San Jose State. Um uh, they have never played a power five conference or power five opponent in a bowl game. That is very much in stake, uh, whether it be the LA bowl um that the Mountain West is tied to, of course, which makes a lot of sense for for uh San Jose State to play in. They're only five hours away from LA. Um, okay. and they probably look the best out of any Mountain West team. And then you have uh one of the Dallas Bowls in, in the ESPN's possession, whether it be the Frisco, the first responder, the Armed Forces bowl. Um, you can send San Jose State there to play their first ever power five bowl opponent. So a lot still at stake for the Spartans program wise.
1: No, absolutely. There is a lot to, to get out of the season. I don't want to recommend or su- suggest that this season is a failure, but um, definitely is a different conversation than it was a few weeks ago, but yeah, man, anything, anything else? I think that's it for me, honestly, anything else you want to point out before we enjoy this uh, good week of football?
0: No, I mean just uh, just a great week at all. I mean just just definitely a great week all around. You know, if you're uh, you're nearby, nearby a game, go go ahead and catch it. You know, um, you know, I'll be watching a uh, New Mexico State San Jose State for uh, with the family. You know, hour and away, so an hour away from me, three hours from my family, going to meet in the middle. But yeah, just uh, enjoy this weekend and hopefully to be as good as last weekend. Because if it it'll it'll be a great place to be.
1: Georgia State, Appalachian State, Wednesday night on ESPN2 at 7.30. Can't wait for that one as well because we have one night football now. Izzy's thrilled.
0: Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we do have, <laughs> we have Yeah, we have it like this weekend next week. There's a there's a game next week. It's so I think Eastern Illinois versus McNeese State. That's on a Wednesday night for whatever reason. But, uh, Absolutely. you know, I love it. But, um, yeah, I guess until then, everyone, uh, peace, love, and soul.